For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. Born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. Born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Metta Sutta This is what should be accomplished by the one who is wise, who seeks the good and has obtained peace. Let one be strenuous, upright, and sincere, without pride, easily contented, and joyous. Let one not be submerged by the things of the world. Let one not take upon oneself the burden of riches. Let one's senses be controlled. Let one be wise but not puffed up, and let one not desire great possessions even for one's family. Let one do nothing that is mean or that the wise would reprove. May all beings be happy. May they be joyous and live in safety. All living beings, whether weak or strong, in high or middle or low realms of existence, small or great, visible or invisible, Near or far, born or to be born, may all beings be happy. Even as a mother at the risk of her life watches over and protects her only child, so with a boundless mind should one cherish all living things, suffusing love over the entire world, above, below, and all around without limit. So let one cultivate an infinite goodwill toward the whole world. Standing or walking, sitting or lying down, during all one's waking hours, let one practice the way with gratitude, not holding to fixed views, endowed with insight, freed from sense appetites. One who achieves the way will be freed from the duality of birth and death. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the Metta Sutta. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. To the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world. Gratefully, we offer this virtue to all beings. All Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, maha prajnya paramita.
Good evening, everyone. Uh, so uh, I apologize to those of you who were looking forward to hearing Howard Juan talk this evening as posted about the Dharma gate of uncertainty. Uh, speaking of uncertainty, I found out 30 minutes before uh, the uh, before Zazen that Howard would not be here and I would be giving the talk. Uh, so uh, he had warned me uh, an hour before that that uh, he was going to be a little challenged in giving the talk because his power was out. I have no idea if it's just his house, the power is out, or if all Hyde Park is out or whatever. Anyway, at some point in the future, uh, Howard may give that talk. Tonight, instead, I'm going to talk about life during wartime. And I'll also be referring to uh, the International uh, Western Dharma Teachers Conference, online conference that I attended some bits of during this past week in between other things and was as I could. So I want to, I will be quoting from a few of the speakers who I heard who are really good. Larry Ward, who I'd never heard before. I'd heard about him. Bhikkhu Bodhi, who's one of the premier translators of Pali Suttas. And Kriti Kano, who I had heard before, who's an environmental scientist. Um, and she's very good. Uh, so, um, but first I want to talk about um, life during wartime. Um, so, um, yeah, um, actually that describes, um, most of my adult life, at least when I became aware of it, age 14, um, and, um, uh, I want to play a song by David Byrne. Uh, from 1979, before some of you were born, um, which uh, describes this to some extent. So let's see how this goes. Again, is the song supposed to be playing? Louder? Tygen, I, I think what happened, I think what's happening is your headphones are plugged in and I think it's playing the song... Could you not hear the beginning? No. I'm going to start over again then, and I'll forget about the headphones. Okay, sorry about that. Technical glitches in this age of uh, electronics. Can you hear it now? I'm getting used to it now. 
Apologize to our radio listeners for that uh, silent air a little while ago. Uh, Life During Wartime by David Byrne and the Talking Heads was written in 1979, again, before some of you were born. But, um, I, well, the, the, I, I must make the disclaimer that I said that that defined my whole adult life. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that David Byrne, as well as I, have never actually been in a war zone with, with uh, bombs dropping and so forth. Um, and, but that is happening in places like, well, it has been happening in Afghanistan and Iraq and Colombia and uh, anyway, lots of places around the world. Um, and uh, for, for me personally, um, uh, in many ways, my life has been about opposing war going back to when I was 15 and that, and uh, demonstrating against the war in Vietnam and uh, various political arrests, uh, including in high school and with 700 people in New York and sitting in, in Dow Chemical Company's office after when they were burning Vietnamese civilians' skin off with napalm. And then later on, um, well, there were, there were intervening wars, um, Guatemala and uh, Honduras and Argentina, but uh, in 1983, when George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and Colin Powell lied us into war in Iraq, um, I, I was uh, demonstrating, well, that was in 2003, uh, demonst- demonstrating and arrested a few times. Uh, but in between, in the early 1980s, also there was a nuclear freeze and there were uh, civil disobedience going on against nuclear weapons were very much relevant today. There's a new nuclear arms race. Um, I recommend the Doomsday Machine, a book by Dan Ellsberg of the Pentagon Papers fame. Um, so the United States, well, they got they pulled some of their troops out of Afghanistan, and um, but um, the United States has been spreading warfare again for my whole adult life at different ways at different times. Um, so uh, just one, one way to talk about that, um, the Afghanistan war called cost $2.2 trillion with 170,000 people killed. And that's not, that's a small number of those were Americans, but lots of people in the Middle East. Um, and um, 55% of our national budget goes to military. Uh, uh, one number I saw was Iraq. And the Iraq war cost us $8 trillion altogether. Um, and that uh, we are now spending $800 million per year the United States has 800 military bases around the world. Um, 
the next highest country for, for military bases outside its borders is Russia with eight. So anyway, okay. Um, but I'm not just talking about warf- warfare in that sense. So I want to talk about, um, again, this conference that, um, that I attended some of this last week. Um, one graphic that I think was Bhikkhu Bodhi showed was a, a series of tsunamis that threatened us. So the tsunami of the COVID pandemic, which has killed uh, 700,000 plus people just in this country, uh, could have been avoided, or a lot of it could have been avoided. Um, that's one tsunami. There's uh, the tsunami of uh, racism and racist terror, terrorism, which black people certainly know on a daily basis as a possibility in this country, but also around the world. There's the tsunami of, uh, that could be coming of fascism. Uh, and I'm not using that as a kind of hyperbole. Fascism technically is about government controlled by corporations. And uh, our government seems to be controlled by big pharma in terms of healthcare and who we're not giving the pen the vaccines to around the world and by military contractors, profiteers, weapons companies like Lockheed Martin and Boeing and uh, others. Um, and then there's the, pan, the tsunami of climate, climate destruction, which is happening. So I'm not talking about all this just to bring you down because I want to talk about how we face this, but I'm going to refer to some of the things that were said at this conference. Um, you know, first, just to say that the climate, climate damage is really dangerous. It's happening. Uh, it's, it's not, uh, it's not speculative. You know, there's a, uh, California where friends of mine live, it, it's, it has been in drought and now they're having deluges of rain which will cause mudslides and so forth. Um, So our whole climate is is unstable. Um, I want to share some perspectives from this conference. Larry Ward um, is, uh, I've heard about for a long time. Has anybody heard him speak or read any of his books? Oh, Matt, yeah. Uh, I I had heard about him. I never heard him speak. He's very powerful. He's very good. He's very uh, strong and also loving. Um, so some, just a few of the things he said, that, um, that we need to be now uh, feeling non-attachment to the personal. Our personal benefit, our personal situation. You know, we've, of course, we have to take care of that. But um, he also said, my ideas are not important. So we all have ideas and perspectives. What's happening, though, is um, he quoted Dr. King as saying that we have to think, have a view of planetary wholeness. We have this, we have this uh, teaching now of deep interconnectedness. It's not just a Buddhist teaching anymore. The pandemic has taught us that we are connected uh, and that uh, people all around the country, well, right now, uh, we are uh, on some of our Zooms. We have people from many places. Matt's from Minnesota. I think the rest of us are in the Chicago area. But um, yeah, we're all connected in this pandemic. And if the pandemic is not taken care of in Latin America and Africa and South Asia, more mutant mutant variants will come. Even though things are looking better, much better in this country. So uh, we're connected. We're deeply connected. Um, so another thing that, that um, Larry Ward talked about is that institutions do not have consciousness. I might say that mountains and rivers have consciousness, that forests have consciousness, and we can talk about that. But institutions don't have consciousness. I mean, the people in the institutions do, but things that institutions do that cause great harm, they don't have a consciousness or I could say a conscience either. Um, 
so um, he, he uh, talked about how it is pointless to try to have, well, he, as he said it, arguments with fools. Uh, I would say it differently, that uh, to try and persuade somebody else, you know, all the people who, I don't know, think that, um, what should I, how should I say it, that, um, you know, that all these conspiracies and that Trump won the last election and um, that um, white heterosexual males are the most persecuted people in history, um, you know, to try and, if people are convinced of such things, it's not, it's not helpful to argue with them or try to persuade them of other things or give them the quote-unquote facts because facts don't mean anything when you have, when people, for people who are set in their beliefs. It doesn't mean we should, we should um, just ignore them or, uh, or uh, you know, we are connected to those people too. Um, and, you know, we can talk with them, but we should find things to talk about that are, uh, so this is me, not Larry Ward, but I think we can talk to, to people who have those bizarre beliefs about things that we have in common. There are things that we have in common because all people, we are part of all people. We are connected with all people and all beings radically in a deep way. Uh, so uh, to uh, discount anybody is foolish. And yet institutions um, are unconscious and, um, and we shouldn't try and persuade somebody of try and convert somebody to some out of some view that is um, that they're set in. So anyway, that's a little bit of what Larry Ward talked about. Um, and uh, I wish I had the whole transcript in front of me, but he, he was very good. I want to shift now to Peter Bodhi, um, who is uh, really one of the preeminent um, translators of Pali Suttas. He was a monk for many years in South Asia. I forget which country, I think maybe Thailand or maybe Sri Lanka, but he's, um, you know, he's from Brooklyn, lives in New Jersey now, um, and um, has very various um, interesting perspectives. So again, I'm just going to share a little bit of it. Uh, he was talking about inequality and uh, this is part of the war, the uh, wartime that we're in. So um, he gave some numbers. The richest one percent in of people in the world own forty three percent of the world's wealth. That's uh, kind of astounding, and uh, from the point of view of ethical values, um, disturbing. Um, uh, the bottom 40%, uh, I forget the number he gave, but own, you know, a, fraction, a small fraction, you know, single digit percentage of wealth of the world. There are 10 men, and they are men, um, I think most of, many of them in the United States who own tremendous amount. Um, Oh, I think um, 42.5% of uh, the wealth in the United States is owned by the top 1% of people in the United States. So during this pandemic, workers, people, including the quote-unquote essential workers, nurses and delivery people and uh, the people who we totally depend on, lost a total of $35 billion throughout this COVID pandemic. Um, billionaires, those who, have, those who are billionaires, gained $4 trillion during the pandemics. So, um, and he talked about military spending too, some of what I said before. The United States military spending is higher than the next 800, eight countries combined. 
So, okay, Buddhist perspective here. How do we respond to this? So, uh, Buddhism is about generosity and compassion and wishing well, as we just chanted, may all beings be happy. But as Bhikkhu Bodhi said, we also need to have a sharp diagnosis and we have to support radical change. Uh, he talked about um, the domains of value, the ultimate sphere, uh, the cultural sphere, the social sphere, and the ecological sphere. Anyway, he, he, Bhikkhu Bodhi is very skillful, has very, lots of charts, and uh, I didn't have time before. Uh, I knew I would give this talk to try and collect some of those. Um, uh, but he also talked about um, the ecological crisis, the crisis, not just the climate, but mass extinctions, um, and how that has to do with, as he put it, the metaphysics of personal atomism, thinking that we are isolated. So part of our work uh, as practitioners is to, on our own, on our own seats during meditation, to see how we are connected with each each part of ourselves and with the and with all beings. But if you have a perspective of affirming independent separation of um, personal selves, that's that's the fundamental delusion. Happiness, he defined as the participation with everyone and everything in all domains. So just to, this is like uh, Larry Ward talking about going beyond the personal. So uh, we'll have some time for discussion, but I want to say some more. Um, uh, one of the things that, uh, and I don't, I have, don't have a good way of describing this, but one of the things that Bhikkhu Bodhi talked about is the donut economy. Do some of you know about that? Matt does. Rather than uh, capitalist models of, of economy, there's a um, note about it somewhere here, if I can read my notes. <laughs> um, that, you know, to see the outside of the donut, to see that, to see our economy and our, and our world, really, with the outside of the donut is the, the external forces, the ecological forces, the atmosphere, the, uh, the, the limitations on, uh, on the earth. The inside is those things that support us, the internal aspects. Um, okay. Um, going back to some of the other things that... Um, Bhikkhu Bodhi talked about, he talked about um, talk about um, value, Buddhist values. We don't have to call them Buddhist, just um, helpful values that support change. We need to change the way things is. Uh, that doesn't mean that, we can, that any of us individually can fix it, but to see that we are connected and to really share that and help that perspective to um, flourish, uh, that will change things. So uh, some, some of the values he talked about uh, is discernment, clear understanding. So sometimes in Buddhism, we talk about not, not knowing, and there is a not knowing that we don't know um, for certain lots of things. We, there is the, uh, the not knowing of uh, many aspects of our, our world, but we can also discern with moral vision and understand some of what's happening in the world. He talked about the value of solidarity, the essential unity of all beings. He talked about love as a value, as a Buddhist value, concern for the well-being of all. So this is what the Metta Sutta we just chanted is about. Talked about compassion 
uh, which is the which he called the urge to alleviate suffering, which also involves seeing the sources of suffering, not just a, an abstraction, but what are the practical sources of suffering? So, uh, some of the things I was talking about at the tsunami, uh, the uh, uh, those supporting the oil companies supporting climate uh, damage, climate de- destruction, which they knew about um, back in the 70s, actually, when David Byrne wrote this song, just like the cigarette companies knew that tobacco was produced cancer, but continued to spread cigarettes. Um, he talked about the Buddhist value of justice, which he described as, Bhikkhu described as just treating all beings, all people fairly. What does that mean to treat everyone fairly? What is, uh, how is that real justice? Um, so all of these are worth, worthy of considering. Um, he talked about the value of equity, that all people um, uh, need, uh, need an, uh, receive an, an equal chance to um, to flourish, to to uh, enjoy their lives. Um, he talked about the value of peace as a Buddhist value, and and he talked about uh, how that included educating people about our military budget and the way uh, we have been living a life during wartime for decades and decades, and often spread by this country. Other countries as well, of course. Uh, he talked about uh, his um, eighth. I think he had eight of them of these values, Buddhist values for change. And the last one was courage. To um, bring out these values into action. How to do that is challenging, um, and I'm going to talk some about that in terms of what Criticano talked about. Um, but uh, to, how to see uh, how to see uh, encouragements for actual change? Uh, he also mentioned three sources of what he thought of, of as hopefulness in the world now. Um, and I think this, these are right. Um, and I, maybe I could add some, but uh, diversity. Uh, and that's clear, clearly true in this country. There's more and more diversity, more different kinds of people, more people from different countries, more of an acceptance of, uh, at least by some people, of diversity. He talked about another aspect of hopefulness, the role of women. There are many, many more women um, uh, in leadership in governments around the world and in sanghas, although there aren't any here right now, unfortunately. But anyway, uh, hooray for women. And, and, and I want to note the way that women are being persecuted by, the, um, by some of the politicians and corporations now. Anyway, um, and then he also talked about the value of indigenous people so up in Minnesota, where Matt is, they're leading a campaign against one of the tar sand pipelines, which is already leaking and, and causing damage to the environment. So anyway, that's a little bit of what Biko Bodhi talked about. Um, I want to mention Kritikano. Uh, I've heard her speak before. She's um, associated with David Loy's group in Colorado, but I think she's I'm not, I think she's practiced with a number of groups and she's spoken to the Soto Zen Buddhist Association. Um, and I think what she said was, really, she, she talks about climate and climate destruction. She's an environmental scientist and actually studies all of this as a scientist. Um, one of the things she talked about, she said that 60% of all people in the United States have been abused by their parents or have some trauma from their parents, emotionally, if not physically. Um, that's, um, 
a startling uh, number. Um, she talked about how we have to go beyond shame and find joy, even in the midst of trauma. And I think one of the things, uh, I'm going to talk about this more next Sunday, but um, we all are suffering from trauma. I, I refer to this as PTSD in one of the one of the sessions and um, with Michelle, Joel and Michelle Levy, who are uh, students of Joanna Macy in Hawaii. And Michelle said, it's not P, it's not post-traumatic stress. We're in the middle of the trauma. We've been... Um, you know, for close to getting close to two years of this pandemic. And some of us are starting to get out more, um, but uh, it's still, uh, you know, having all of this time being to some degree quarantined or just um, avoiding groups or anyway, it, it's, this is, this has been a traumatic shift. And, uh, you know, I, one of the things that I feel, and I've said this, is that this is good preparation because the the following tsunamis of racist terrorism, perhaps, of fascist governments, of cl- more and more climate destruction are going to require us to change, to shift, to respond with joy even in the midst of trauma so um, this is this has been good practice <laughs> um, and at the same time we should not cannot need to not minimize the sadness of this of how our world has changed just in the last two years how our lives have changed even those of us who have not suffered uh, extensively from loss of of uh, friends or families to COVID or from uh, economic distress, Every, we've all changed. We've all suffered. There's a sadness to it. Um, she talked about Sangha action, <clears throat> how to take action and support others who are doing action. She, she suggested, and I'm not sure how we implement this, uh, Alex is involved with our social action group, but she suggested small groups working together, affinity groups, four to eight people, more than that. So we have seven here. So we could all talk together about what to do, but four to eight people who meet regularly. Um, um, What did she suggest? Two hours at a time. Um, did she say once a week anyway, uh, a couple times a month? Uh, so what is Dharma resistance? How do we find Dharma resistance? Uh, she also talked about the times are urgent. People have felt that the times were urgent maybe all through history. And, you know, the, in Dogen's time, there were civil, there was civil war and bodies in the streets of Kyoto. We always, you know, it's possible to feel like the times are urgent, but when we look at the, the level of mass extinction now, the, possi- the possibility of nuclear warfare and so forth and so on, I'm not saying this to scare you, but that we have to face this. And we have to um, uh, find a new way to respond not acting from guilt or shame. So we all have, uh, have, you know, or, or I, you know, maybe not all of us, but many of us have uh, regrets. And, and uh, if we look at our personal karma, we can feel grief, we can feel shame, but that's not, uh, we have to acknowledge it, but that's, but then we have to also see uh, how to, create islands of sanity. So that's what Sangha is about, to actually face the sadness, to face the grief and trauma. And I'll talk more about that that next week. Um, We have to uh, be willing to be vulnerable to our sadness, to our grief. Um, 
don't not to ignore that. And then when we face that, how to shift to strategic action to supporting activities that um, can help make actually make a difference, not just to feel good about some, you know, going to some demonstration and feeling like, oh, I'm okay, you know, but actually how do we effectively look at what to do? And that's a lot of work. And it's not, and the Bodhisattva idea is um, lifetimes of work. So none of us can do everything, but how do we take on some particular project of helpfulness together. But again, first we have to, to uh, just be willing to be sad or to be angry if that's where what comes up, but to feel what we feel um, and to recognize that we are being traumatized by all of this and, uh, and we're all wounded. So That's a little bit about the contours of life during wartime. And that's where we're at, actually. That's what's happening. And it's sort of, you know, the climate is like a slow war, you know, <laughs> climate damage, although it's not so slow anymore with fires and floods and so forth. Um, white supremacy, terrorism, and possible fascism seems like a slow war. There's a slow coup going on um, since January 6th. How do we face all of this? So um, maybe that's all a little heavy. Maybe we came to sit and and, uh, feel some calm and equanimity, and we need that as well to be able to face this. So comments, questions, responses, I really want to hear what you all have to say. Ed, are you uh, about to say something? Oh, sure. <laughs> well, thank you for the talk. And I'm sorry to hear that you had very little notice. I know you're very occupied and it's difficult to do all these talks. So thank you for doing that. You know, it's interesting. I'm sorry. Okay. So it's interesting to me because you mentioned um, several things and I can group it a little bit, this interiority of trauma that is unique to the individual, but present and often hidden away and obscured by the individual in a self-protective manner. And then the presence of injustice in the exterior world. And maybe the relationship between those two states is having something to do with first the courage of the individual to address their own trauma and then having addressed it to then have the power or the courage or the strength to, to address an exterior world of injustice. And so the one, the one must first occur precedes the other. Is this the case? Well, uh, yes, and um, yes, each of us has our own personal karmic trauma, but actually, we're not alone in that. Part of interconnectedness is that we are all, in various ways maybe in particular ways, um, traumatized. Maybe that happens just by living, (laughs) even in good times, but certainly now, um, the pandemic and and, uh, with uh, uh, white supremacy terrorism and uh, with the the climate damage and the environmental damage, all all the... species that go are going extinct. I think Patrick can probably talk to some of this. Patrick works for the EPA, so, uh, you know, I'm happy of that. Um, This trauma is personal and it's not personal. So that's one of the things Larry Ward talked about it. It's not personal. Um, Going back to uh, his quote of 
Dr. King again. Uh, I just I happened to put these notes together earlier today, not knowing I was going to be giving a talk tonight. But um, uh, that we can have a view of planetary wholeness, planetary interconnectedness, and that means that our even our personal trauma is connected with everybody else. We each have our own version, but we're all so it, we're in it together. Even at, even though we each have to do our own work, yes. So uh, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm taking it to another part. Other comments or reflections, please feel free. Yes, Patrick. So um, one, thank you again for the the talk. Um, I. Uh, one of the things that I've struggled with is that action step um, and that action step in the face of um, monumental challenges. Um, and at least for um, climate change, I've started to hear um, the language, you know, shifting more towards uh, people's livelihoods being affected. Before it was always the polar bear swimming in an iceless sea and how bad that is. And it is bad, um, but it's remote for myself in Chicago. Um, and I, so I've started to hear news stories about um, people's impact um, or people's um, sort of suffering at the hands of climate change, not necessarily um, things I had heard before. And so, for instance, there's this article in NPR that um, heat waves uh, are a uh, pregnancy risk. Um, and so uh, there's um, more black and minority um uh, women are at risk for early pregnancies um, during heat waves and they don't really understand it. And, and so it starts to build this human story. Um, and so when, when thinking about, um, you know, what to do, uh, it, and to your phrase earlier, like islands of, of sanity, it could be like islands of help. And, and so it, it it can start by simply helping one person um, or sort of one um, minor but connected issue. So um, where there's heat waves, you know, they have cooling centers and stuff, but maybe there's getting people to those cooling centers is a problem. Um, and so I, I, I just say this to, to throw out... Um, that there might be um, more tangible things that could be done locally to help individuals in addition to, you know, the big protests and um, um, like email, like emailing representatives and elected officials um, to think. Um, so there might be like just some shorter personal things, just helping someone cool off when it's 110 degrees. Um, I, I don't know exactly what that might be, but since we don't have a physical space, maybe it is just, you know, helping people get rides to certain places. Um, and, uh, yeah, going from there and I, I, there isn't ever a perfect solution, right? So an idea would be, um, uh, I know for like Lyft, I'm not a fan of rideshare programs, but Lyft is marginally better, I suppose. Um, but you can, you can create a code on Lyft with tied to like a certain dollar amount. And so you, you can have like a $500 pool associated with that code and give that code out to people and then they can use it to get to a cooling center kind of thing. So, 
Um, that being said, you're using a gas-powered vehicle <laughs> to get someone to a cooling center who's being affected by um, a heat wave caused by climate change. So there's no perfect solution, um, but there might be sort of those tangible steps that at least you're helping another person out. Thank you, Patrick. Yes, I think uh, small individuals, not small, individual things collect, you know, collectively do make a difference. Uh, as to it being climate being tangible for human suffering, I think that's, you know, that's been happening uh, for a while. I, you know, I, I uh, moved to Chicago from Northern California and I have lots of friends and family in Northern California and they're facing fires and now floods this, this, this week. And, uh, and then the people on the Gulf and, and on the East coast facing uh, intense hurricanes. So, yeah, I think, I think that first is just about that part. I think climate is now not just about the polar bears. It's about us. And of course it is also about the polar bears, but um, yeah, there are things that can be done. There might be small things, but those add up. And uh, so I I appreciate all your suggestions. One thing that occurred to me as you were talking, though, one of the things that that I've said and that uh, was said again at this conference is that um, there is now amongst environmentalists or climate people concerned about climate, some sort of sense of planetary hospice, that the planet is dying or that the human human beings are dying. And that's not realistic. Um, it was certainly the human species is going to suffer a lot through the various kinds of climate issues that come up, but, and and all the other things, all the other things, but um, the sense of being overwhelmed and, and there's nothing we can do and, and just not getting numb and, and feeling dull is not helpful. In fact, that's, the new version of climate, of climate denial. So the oil companies who are still spending millions and millions of dollars lobbying to continue fossil fuel are encouraging, you know, kind of sense of despair and overwhelm that, well, there's nothing we can do about climate damage. Uh, that's not realistic. Uh, it's there. We, there are things we can do to mitigate this and the kinds of things you were talking about, Patrick, and, and also, just looking around and finding uh, uh, organizations that are doing constructive things in various ways and and, and supporting them uh, anyway. Um, you know, the problem is huge, but um, we're all in it together anyway. Um, just to say that. Other comments or perspectives or questions, please. Everybody, uh, hey, I got a job taking on short notice. Um, Fear of Music is my favorite album, and yeah. uh, that's one of my favorite songs. And that, and yeah, that whole album is great. Yes, thank you. One one of the reasons that uh, I, I enjoy it so much is uh, the the theme of the album is fear. Every one of those songs on that album has something to do with some form of fear, which um, is kind of an interest of mine. Um, and and uh, there's a lot of lot to be afraid of, and there's they you know whoever they are uh, are using fear to manipulate us too. So it goes yeah, in any number of directions. Um, I, I I work as as some of you may know in a facility for developmentally disabled adults. Um, way it's way way out in the suburbs. Uh, element uh, that that uh, is, is seated there, and um, you know everybody knows the thing's been going on for two years, nearly, and um, it's it's not like this is any big news or any big mystery. But this past week, they had to close down uh, another house because of uh, 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 because of, because of COVID cases springing up. And it's not like they took it, this, this is a big surprise, right? You know, and there are still, still uh, staff. Not, I mean, there's some resistance on the part of the, of the participants too, but there are, are still staff that are refusing to 
vaccinated, people who work cheek by jowl with uh, people who are uh, disabled. I mean, close, close, close quarters. Um, you know, these, these aren't uh, big um, condos we're talking about. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know what to do. I do what I can. Uh, I try to um, tell my colleagues when I know how, you know, uh, this needs to be done. Uh, I meet with some resistance. I try not to be hostile, although I, I, I have to admit, I, uh, I, 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 feel, I feel pretty hostile. And, um, and the, the way David Byrne, uh, although I, I think he didn't go quite far enough, I don't think he would have predicted uh, Facebook or, or the Russian disinformation campaign. When I say Russian, I don't mean that in the non, you know, you talk about non-dualism. I mean, this is a campaign of disinformation that's uh, aided and abetted by our penultimate president and uh, American tycoons, Mr. Zuckerberg and, and others. So, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not our side versus theirs. I mean, we're destroying ourselves and they're destroying themselves too. Uh, Mr. Putin is, uh, has been quoted as saying, I can't understand why more Russians aren't using masks. You know, um, it's, it's madness. Um, and I'm not sure what to do except to, to, uh, to call it out and be as, um, be as amicable as I can in the process, which I find hard. So uh, I didn't think I was called this kind of emotion, but uh, but th- thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's hard, and you know, there's anger also. And how do we deal with that? We have to face. Um, we have to face how we feel. We have to face our feelings and thoughts. And um, I want to go back to you know you started talking about fear. And um, courage to to go to one of Bhikkhu Bodhi's Buddhist virtues is not the absence of fear. It's actually the study of fear and facing fear. So, um, yeah, what's happening in the world, what's happening in our country is scary. So courage, again, is to face our fear. And um, and then also to face our anger and 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 see you know in terms of that and, and it sounds sounds like Joe what you're you're doing a really good job of or at least you're working with with in a constructive way feeling that anger at um, the people who are not wearing masks or whatever but also trying to be. Um, not hostile is one of the things you said. It's difficult. This is all difficult. Um, the first noble truth in Buddhism, as I've said sometimes, is the truth of suffering, the truth of dissatisfaction. So we're talking about suffering tonight. We're also talking about how we face suffering and what do we, how can we respond helpfully. And it's a noble truth because we can face it. That's what our zazen is about. We sit upright, still, silent, and we feel what we feel. We don't have to figure anything out. Although, you know, if if you if you do figure something out, you know, <laughs> use it helpfully. Um, but um, the point is just to be sitting, to to be upright and settled, and calm, and quiet, and with equanimity right in the middle of the chaos. So that's what, what Islands of islands in the amid the chaos is about. And that's something that we as community can do just by talking about this together. We are uh, manifesting um, in some ways sanity. Sanity is to actually look at what's happening. And, uh, and, then, and then, you know, it's not that we rush out trying to fix things because we don't know how to do that. But, you know, as uh, Kritikano says in small groups, we can discuss this and um, look at positive things we can do. And I 
appreciate all your suggestions, Patrick. And, you know, we can work with, you know, how can we do helpful things? So anyway, it's, uh, so thank you, Joe, for uh, sharing your fear and anger. Thanks for listening. So we're getting along to time to wrap things up and we do have some major announcements, but um, does anybody else have something you want to say? Patrick, please. Um, you'd, um, that phrase joy in the midst of um, trauma. And uh, then I was thinking of, um, I never, I don't know who it's attributed to anymore, but the, quote that the same thinking that caused the problem can be used to solve the problem or something like that. I think I'm paraphrasing pretty poorly. Um, and when, um, so I one, find, ver- one version of that is hatred can't be ended by more hatred. Mm-hmm, right. And that if, um, uh, if I'm, I don't, but let's say fearful um, or reacting from um, like an emotional base, but like uncontrolled, unfiltered. Um, I'm closed off to the possibilities of solutions. Um, and that, that phrase joy in the midst of trauma, I think is, uh, resonates with me in in all of these different tsunamis um, and that moment of joy or that feeling of joy can help produce those solutions um, um, and you still I still have to address the trauma and and, and work on it personally but um, I think there's a lot of creative potential then in that joy and even working through the trauma. Yes. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, it's not that the the facing of it, the the joy, it's not to expunge the trauma or the sadness. You know, there's this phrase spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypass. So some people will, you know, get involved in spiritual practices as a way of avoiding these uh, difficult feelings. So how do we not ignore them, not try and crush them? Part of the work of Zazen is this process of facing our suffering, facing our own trauma, facing our fears and our anger, being settling in them so that we don't don't have to react in, in some ways from them. Although that's, Part of the process is we do react and we watch that. And, you know, so um, the joy and the settling comes in the middle of all that. So, yes, yes. Thank you. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining in this discussion. Um, uh, So we still are in the middle of life during wartime. How do we respond? And I, you know, um, you know, some of the lines in David Burns' uh, song. I've changed my hairstyle so many times now; I don't even know what I look like. <laughs> um, uh, why go to college? Why go to night school? Going to be different this time. Yeah, we don't know how to how to act in the middle of all this, but we uh, we can talk about it together and uh, explore. So. Thank you all very much. Um, Alex, would you uh, close us out with the four bodhisattva vows? Thank you. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. 
I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it.